Hey there, everyone, and congratulations on making it up through the first 250 lessons of this wonderful work. Now, before we want to continue, I want to do a little review. This is not a review that's in the book. This is just my own review. And to congratulate you for sticking with it. A Course in Miracles is a brilliant work psychologically because it addresses us where we think we are in an objective world and what we think we are, which are separate, discrete people, things unrelated to one another, none of which is true whatsoever. It doesn't say yet at the very beginning that we have been driven absolutely insane with our unwarranted guilt. All about that as things unfold. And that we actually are just a lot further off base as related to the truth than we really have any idea about. So we can't really be presented with the truth of us in the beginning because our intellects couldn't comprehend it. We would immediately go to a fearful place as if we aren't already in a fearful place, and we would just simply be blocked from proceeding further. So the actual facts, which are not presented to us in the beginning, are that we are not persons. We are not separate. The bodies do not represent what we are, what we actually are. Each of us is an experience that Source is having, whether you call that Source or God or the Great Mystery, the Creator, whatever it is, that each moment of experience is the Creator experiencing that. And as soon as that experience is over, what is actually happening is everything dissolves back into what's latent instead of actualized. Things don't continue on in some objective way like we think they do. And science is catching up with that, which is just fabulous. So we can't say all that in the beginning because people would say, you're crazy. Of course I'm a separate human being. I can see, look at all the space in between. We have such faith in our perception. And besides this, I've got real problems. I don't make enough money. My daughter's on drugs. My father is becoming demented, and I've got to put him in a nursing home, and I can't do anything about that. And this explanation of what I am is not only false, but really totally irrelevant to my big problems. I hope you can identify with that. <laughs> so at that point, we would just throw the book away, and that would be the end of that. So this is done in this very ingenious way. It's done very indirectly. It doesn't agree with us, but it speaks to us as if. That's an important phrase, as if. We are separate people in an objective time-space continuum of some kind, and that once there is an object, it stays that way for possibly thousands and millions of years. We have great confidence in our notions about that. And so what it does is begin with these very short, non-confrontive, easy beginnings. Just a minute or two is asked, and we're just asked to focus differently. We're not asked to understand anything. It just practice putting our attention on something in an unusual way. And even in the very beginning, rewiring of our brains to speak of it at this time and space level 
is occurring. And of course, it begins by asking us to connect thoughts and things, inner and outer, as all one thing. And that continues on and on in many different ways. And the main theme that's woven throughout is non-judgment. Stop judging. We don't have all the information to judge. And of course, the reason why is we're judging ourselves through judging other people because what we offer is what we experience. It is primarily then non-judgment and the releasing of grievances because grievances and judgment are intimately connected. And the whole time we're practicing, to whatever degree we are practicing, the frequency is being raised. Probably everybody kind of gets the idea that people are on the same wavelength. That phrase has been used for a long, long, long time. And as we actually practice and our minds become clearer and larger, more expanded, we become more peaceful, we're raising the frequency of ourselves, whatever we think ourselves are, and rewiring our brains, changing our attention. And we do that enough until finally the truth of our being, of being God, having an experience, dawns on us in our experience, not in our intellect. This is doing an end run around the intellect. You remember those places where it says God takes the last step and other ways of saying that very same thing. Like we go up so far and then something happens. Well, the something that happens is my mind has finally gotten to be clear and open and large and free enough that the truth that we are creator having an experience, we are an experience, not a person having an experience. The whole teaching of non-duality and all the various forms that it's come down through thousands of years is up to this point we have thought, okay, there's a doer and there's what's been done. There's the seer and there's what is seen. There's the knower and that which is known. All teachings of non-duality say, no, those aren't two things. There's not a subject and an object. Subject and object are one. We are not a person having an experience. We are the experience. We are every single element of everything in any given experience. Okay, so that may still sound foreign, but you were much further along the path to the realization of this than you might believe. And the realization of this brings with it peace, joy, security, serenity, love, uh, happiness. Every single thing we want to experience is built into our recognition of what it is we actually are. This is why all of valid teachings from any place say we've believed that our happiness comes from something outside us. No, it comes from the realization or the recognition of what it is we actually are. Okay, that's my little commentary. And now we're gonna jump right in to the next what is page in this second section of the workbook. This particular little what is page says, what is sin? And it just jumps right in and says, well, sin is insanity. 
It's the means by which the mind is driven mad and seeks to let illusions take the place of truth. And being mad, it sees illusions where the truth should be and where it actually is. Sin gave the body eyes. For what is there the sinless would behold? Well, what need do the sinless or the innocent have of sights and sounds and touch? What would they hear or reach? And what would they want to grasp? What would they want to sense at all? And here's the reason why. To sense is not to know. To sense is to be in this experience of perceiving rather than knowing. It makes that distinction in the first chapter of the text that this is a place where we perceive, but knowledge is the realm of what is beyond where we are now. And it says truth can only be filled with knowledge and not with sensory perceptions. It says filled with knowledge and nothing else. So the body is the instrument that the mind made in its efforts to deceive itself. Its purpose is to strive. And yet the goal of striving can change. And now the body can serve a different aim for striving. What it seeks for now is chosen by the aim that our right mind has taken as a replacement for the goal of the ego, which is always self-deception. Truth can be the aim of this striving, as well as lies being the aim of our striving. The senses then will seek instead for witnesses to what is true. You see, we always find what we're looking for. So if I'm looking for a lie, I'm going to find it and think it's true. Oh, you see how crazy we are. So sin is the home of all illusions. Sin is attitude of guilt and wrongness. It only stands for things imagined, issuing from thoughts that are untrue. It's those separate personal things, those kinds of thoughts. And they are the proof that what has no reality is real. Sin, that means seeing what's wrong, proves that all of us are evil. Timelessness must have an end. Eternal life must die. And God himself has lost the son he loves with but corruption to complete himself. His will has now forever be overcome by death, love is slain by hate, and peace to be no more. And then it's very clear, it says, this is nothing but a madman's dreams. And madman's dreams are frightening. And sin, that means guilt. That means that truth has been forever ruined. So it says this idea that we are so bad because we've so thoroughly ruined the truth itself does indeed terrify us. And yet, what sin perceives is just a childish game. The Son of God, that would be all of these expressions of creatorship, may play. We've become a body, prey to evil and to guilt with just this little life that ends in death. But all the while... The Father shines on us, loves us with an everlasting love, which our pretenses cannot change at all. And then it gives a very interesting plea, and this is almost unique in this entire work. It says, 
how long, O Son of God, will you maintain the game of sin? Shall we not put away these sharp-edged children's toys? How soon will you be ready to come home? Perhaps today? There is no sin. You have not ruined yourself. You have not stopped being what you are. Creation is unchanged. Would you still hold return to heaven or oneness or joining the realization of those back? How long, O holy Son of God, how long? Now remember, the reason why I decided to tell you that little bit before this is because you can't really have sin, which is the committing of all these awful things that we think we've done, if we don't really have sinners. (laughs) So the point of reminding you of this is we aren't separate people. We can't actually, in fact, attack each other. So sin is definitely insanity. It's also simply impossible. Sin with no sinners is laughable. Okay, now we're going to go on to the specifics of lesson 251. And here it is. I am in need of nothing but the truth. You see, the implication is, is that basically everything we've believed until we've started this course has nothing to do with the truth. So it says, okay, this is what I need if I could only have the truth to replace all my nonsense. I sought for many things, and I found despair. So now I want to seek for one. I want to seek only for one thing, for in that one is all I need, and it's only what I need. All that I sought before, I didn't need and actually didn't even want. My only need, I did not recognize. But now I can see that that was the truth. That's the only thing I need is the truth that has everything I want in it. And in that are all needs satisfied, all cravings end, all hopes are finally fulfilled, and dreams are gone. Those would be dreams of lack and nobody loves me and I'm not okay. So now I have everything that I could ever need. Now I have everything I could ever want. Love, peace, certainty, safety, etc. So now at last I find myself at peace. And for that peace, our Father, we so give thanks. What we denied ourselves, you have restored. And only that is what we really want. Okay, that's lots to think about for today. I hope you have a lovely day. We'll come back tomorrow and jump right into this little section of lessons about this topic. See you later. Bye.